I want to ask you a question, uh, Mr. T Panda. Do you know what GMI means or WGMI? WGMI. Um, no, I don't actually. Can you? Uh, you want to enlighten me a little bit? Yeah, it means gonna make it, or we are gonna make it, or W A G M I. We are gonna make it. Wag me. No, that hasn't made it into the the normy nomenclature yet. Okay. It's kind I of a crypto thing. It. <laughs> it's what you tell uh, okay. crypto people, tell other crypto people when your project is doing really well, you go, bro, we're totally going to make it. And when, you know, you add an end to the front, and of course, that's the opposite. We're not going to make it. So, yeah, you say that when your project's not doing well or somebody buys something that you disagree with, you go, man, you're not going to make it, bro. If you're buying some dumb shit like that, you're not going to make it. So... Just wanted to get you caught up on, on the latest, because I, I know you're right. not a crypto guy, and I got a lot of crypto fans now, so we got we to gotta bridge the audience. And this is kind of cool, because we're back to Zyori Plus One, dude. I busted out the old overlays. I haven't done one of these in hey. ages. I was sort of doing them with Axie, but then that turned into Axie Tuesdays, and now Axie Tuesdays is probably going to move to like the official Axie channels, and I was traveling, so I lost track of that. So it's cool to just do a, a casual podcast you know, with a, a regular non-crypto guy that's also very intelligent intelligent, very forward thinking and very much into esports. You know, we might be able to convince you to come the Axie way at some point. And of course, any of our Dota viewers will certainly recognize you and any of our handful of viewers from Finland will certainly recognize you as well. And uh, well, why don't you introduce yourself, buddy? Give us the proper pronunciation of your name and give us a little little intro of, of what you've been up to. <laughs> Well, you're a sweet talking me here. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, so I am known as Harikumiku San, also known as Harikumiko Kangasmeki. Um, yeah. A Finnish young lad. I'm 20 year, 28 years old. Was born in '93 in the cold country known as Finland here in the the north. Um, in the also uh, Finnish Chernobyl, known as Kovala. Uh, we have a very identical uh, Chernobyl city in Finland called Kovala, which is just a con a, a concrete city basically. Okay. So um, we referred to that as our Eastern Bloc uh, city in Finland. Wow. Um, I've been doing esports for about four years now, casting, hosting, interviews, uh, both in Finnish and in English, so bilingual. Um, majority English, so as you can see, I'm not a Finnish guy, but I don't have the most perfect accent. I could if I focus more on what I want to pronounce, but uh, that's that's a whole whole other story. Um, God, yeah, that's, that's also a horrible impersonation. <laughs> that's so my, weird to me. My other accents. Well, it's good but, enough you know. that it's actually passable. <laughs> so it feels like there's this whole alter ego of T Panda that I'm not privy to because you did like you studied in the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. I was a kid though, but, a but kid. yeah, I yeah, lived. Okay. I lived two years, two years between uh, um, Oxford and London. So I was in a small town, small wow. village called High Wycombe. Almost, yeah, I think it's a university city or city or something like that these days. But uh, from High Wycombe, I was in there for two years, and I also did three years in Belgium, in Brussels. Uh, I was at a European school when I was a teenager, so I was 14 to 17, then came back to Finland, and uh, wow. okay. yeah, moved moved around, seen the world, uh, done some traveling, played games. I haven't really been to more than just one LAN event, actually, outside of Finland. I was in 2019 in Los Angeles, or Los Angeles in uh, Los Angeles, Warcraft yeah. Three and Clash Royale, so uh, that was an experience. That's what I'm curious. Like, what what's your breadth of games? Because I know you've done a lot of Dota. I know you've done a bunch of Rocket League. Those are the two I know you mostly for. But I guess Clash Royale is also in there. That's cool. So my <clears throat> my full list of games. I might also be missing a couple. But uh, what I do know is I have the biggest collection of games uh, that anybody in Finland has cast. So we have Dota, Rocket League, PUBG, 
which I've been hosting, CSGO, which I've been hosting and doing interviews with like HLTV top 30 teams, uh, Arena Valor, Buggy Bee Tracing. I did that in Hartwell Arena. Do you know Hartwell Arena in Finland? I don't. Sorry. I haven't been to Finland, so no. I... Hopefully you will <laughs> one day. <laughs> it's, it's the biggest uh, ice hockey slash um, event venue in Finland. So I've done a, a hosting event in that. So that's off my bucket list. Gotcha. Um, I've done Clash Royale, Warcraft 3. I've done some uh, hosting outside of esports with some AI events, kind of like Robot Wars kind of casting. And uh, three weeks ago, I was also hosting the Nordic's biggest XR, which is like an extended reality event. Uh, really cool stuff, you know, See. with my VR, VR glasses on and hosting an ah. event that was wild. See, that all blows my mind because I've always been more of a single game guy. You know, like I could always have one primary game, maybe a secondary one that I play casually, you know, a little World of Warcraft in my later years mm. when I needed a break from Dota. You know, we played a little PUBG, played a little Overwatch. And, you know, I worked like three PUBG events. And I, I'm not going to lie, I felt like a fish out of water at every single one of them. Oh. And at Moonduck, we considered doing Overwatch as like a game that we would expand into. And all of us kind of looked at each other and said, does anybody actually like this? this game does anybody want to do content for this game like i know we'll all do it if we get paid but all things equal what do you want to do with your time nobody wanted to do overwatch so like all right this is a sign that like we yeah. probably shouldn't do this this is going to feel really forced even if we get gigs it's it's not going to be our kind of thing so um for me it was like all dota all, all starcraft then kind of all han and then han and dota had some overlap so there was like a little transition there then it was all dota for like almost a decade, not quite, I guess like eight and a half years. And now I'm right. pretty much all Axie. There was a little transition there. I finished that last DPC season and was like learning Axie and getting caught up. So I was maybe like 60, two thirds Dota, one third Axie for that last like six weeks. Right, right. But now I like, I barely keep up with Axie, man. There's so many content creators. There's so much going on. There's, there's just so much to build. It's like, I, I, I can't focus on Dota at all. You know, I read some of the headlines and I get little bits here and there and I still follow a bunch of people. Mm. So it creeps into my Twitter feed, but I find it yeah. hard to focus on a lot of games, man. How do you do it? It's tough for sure. Um, while I've been doing esports in several different games, um, I've also been, uh, I just graduated from university. I think that's our main topic for today. Uh, five years, so it's a long road, long road on in uh, in university. And I got my bachelor's degree in social services. And I've also been doing music on the side as well. We released an album last year in Spotify mm. and uh, other respectful uh, streaming platforms as well. Respectful so, uh, streaming platforms. <laughs> yeah, that's what they always say about YouTube, right? <laughs> I love it. No, sell um, no sellout. No sellout. So it's wild to me, too. That, so for you to do a bachelor's, you had to write a thesis. I have a bachelor's. I didn't have to write no freaking thesis. I, you oh, know, really? But mine's in, in entrepreneurship. So maybe that's like, you know, hippy dippy enough. Like I had a couple innovation courses, you know, emerging enterprises. Hmm, pretty, pretty challenging stuff. You know, they're enterprises that emerge, dude. What else do you need to know? It's in the title. If you read exactly. the title, you read the book. That's uh... <laughs> it's, it's very different for sure. Like for, for us in social services, it's really important that you have a thesis to show what you've learned and how can you maybe use those skills, not only in just academic work or writing, but uh, both into work that you might be going into. So mm. for me, it was kind of a no-brainer that I want to connect my thesis with the esports work I've done before and try to find a link. Because like the main point of social services is, it is um, it's educational 
and it has something to do with uh, the growth of kids and turning into adults and, you know, a, a learning experience throughout your life. So how do you connect esports, which is com- really competitive stuff, combined with uh, growing and, and the environment and all that? Because it's completely different. The other one has a goal. The other one doesn't. The other one's just, you know, raising you as a person. Right. Are you so now that you're done school, you're planning on going full time esports slash already have I am, yeah. That's the that's the gig. Okay, cool. So yeah, I'm curious, uh so do you think you're gonna apply your degree, generally speaking, to your work? Or because uh, like I wasn't sure I was computer science and then I switched to business. And I've obviously run a bunch of businesses, so my degree ended up being a pretty good fit for my path. And I felt like I kind of stumbled into that trajectory. You look back and go, wow, you really planned that out. And it, right. it wasn't really like that in the moment. How about you? Is this uh, like, are you trying to do like uh, combine? What is the actual title again? I know you said it and I already forgot. Um, of your yeah, degree. The, the, title, the title for the thesis was uh, Young Adults' Experiences on Toxic Behavior and Forming Social Bonds Through Video Games. I see. And what's so, the title of the, the bachelor's degree? The bachelor's degree, um, Bachelor of Social Services. So, social Services, that was it. I got yeah, you. Yeah, Social right. Services, yeah. Very cool. So, so yeah, get, hit me with it, dude. Give me, like, the, the high level uh, of the research and, you know, what, what you were looking at and what, uh, I mean, were there stunning conclusions? Are we about to have our minds blown about toxicity in gaming? And it is interesting because I have, like, most of us have probably seen that Netflix docu- uh, documentary that was popular, what, six months ago or a year ago? I'm forgetting the name mm-hmm. of it, but you know which one I'm talking about. How social media, the social dilemma, I think it was called. How social yep. media is terrible, and especially like Instagram for, I think, like preteen and teenage girls. There's a bunch of data to indicate that it's like objectively bad for self image, yeah. and it's just a, a spectrum of, of degree in terms of how destructive it is. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It it seems pretty relevant, and like many things are gamified now, right? If you take the most the, the broadest definition of what a gamer is, it really encompasses a lot of people. And in more and more cultures, uh, gaming isn't this like male only gender situation. We do still see that in like esports and the hyper competitive stuff. But for gamers at large, uh, they're there's like a game that appeals to virtually every demographic now. So gaming has just become a part of modern life, especially now that they exist on on mobile phones, right? And parents as well, you know, moms, dads, that kind of stuff. Like anybody with free time and a phone now has access to be a gamer. True. So, yeah, I'm quite curious to hear uh, hear about it. We got a lot of things about this. I think some of the groundwork, uh, which is most important for me to bring out here, I'm not an academic person. Like, I, I might seem smart. I might make myself look very smart. I try to be smart because I want to, you know, learn, uh, increase my knowledge bank, be more aware about things, respect perspectives, learn from other people, and also try to be, you know, professional about what I say, what I want to bring out, and hopefully get some opinions from people. So when it comes to this whole topic with the thesis, um, for, for one person, talking about toxicity might be that I'm not surprised about the findings. For someone, it might be, wow, that is completely different than what I expected. So I think this is what kind of, it does some groundbreaking things. Um, maybe a couple things might seem radical, hmm. but I have a huge amount of responses. We gathered 656 responses, and this was open for a month on my social media channels and also through my uh, my... Um, my partner, uh, which was the 
the the youth what's i don't actually even know the ex actual word for it but basic basically like the whole youth program in uh, the city of hubinka which is where i'm living at mm. so in in consensus um for a month we picked up answers from 18 to 29 years of of age and we had a google forms inquiry so anybody could answer to it and we had about eight to nine questions about uh, how many hours do you spend per day um, encountering about toxicity. Mm. Uh, do you cause toxicity or do you see toxicity being caused to other people? And you've observed this happen to other people and also toward it towards you as well. And outside of that, we had a second uh, area, which was basically, do you belong to a gaming group? And do you belong to a gaming community, which are two different things. You have like a group of friends or a, a group you think you belong to. And then you have a community, which might be like, say, Dota 2 Finland or uh, mm -hmm. Axie Infinity Philippines or something. You know, like, you, do you feel like you belong to a specific game community? And the last one was, do you form friendships and do you form relationships through video games? So we had a total of seven important questions the two others were about your gender or if you're a non-binary or uh, gender fluid. I'm not perfect with the terms here in English, so I'll, I'll try to be respectful to anybody, of course. And so this was all in was Finnish, a, yeah? Or was yeah, the, this was, was all in Finnish. So. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So I did write an English abstract for it, uh, which was a requirement for it. And, um, you know, I could read it from word to word. And I'm like, do you want to hear? Because in, in the abstract, we have like the main points, but I could also break them down to you by like one segment after the, after the other. Like I'm, I'm totally open to go through this any way you want to. I worked yeah, on I mean, this for nine months. I see. Yeah, no, I think like su summary is good, right? So yeah. we can maybe yeah. kind of go point by point on a high level. Mm -hmm. So I, I certainly trust your judgment of like what, are, what you think are like the most interesting and relevant points especially to gaming. I think that that's the part that like I'm particularly interested in. Um, and it's like, you know, I, I guess I don't know as much about Finnish culture, but I guess maybe I have some in my head like illusions like you guys seem pretty nice but i don't know maybe you're pretty mean to each other in video games anecdotally most finnish people in dota i've played with played with have been normal slash nice you know it's like a neutral or nice spectrum i haven't had too many yeah. like call me super mega insults or something but you know maybe it's different in your language i was thinking as you were saying that in my head like i can only imagine how many genders you guys have in in finland and it seems like you guys have one of those languages where from a, a non-speaker it seems very intimidating there's a lot of a lot of scary characters and a lot of very long words yeah, so anyway um yeah so so what do we got what do you think what's, what's our what's our first major point I'm, I'm very curious here so if i read you through from this abstract there's a couple sentences there's going to be a lot of things so i think this is the most important part if uh, anybody is in the audience interested about so i'm going to read straight through this is going to be a couple sentences the results show that the experiences of young adults facing toxicity were very alike. Younger ages would experience tox uh, would experience more toxicity, but were also impacted with worse behavior. The increase of hours played per day also increased the occurrence of toxicity. Women faced more toxic behavior than men and were also less prone to cause such behavior. Young adults are largely the age bracket belonging to a community or gaming group. And women also create more relationships through online games. So that's, mm. that's a, you know, a handful. <laughs> that's 
Okay. No, that, that is a, a lot, lot but that is super interesting. And if I can try to repeat some of that back in my sleep-deprived and then overslept state. Um, so the more you play, the more toxicity you're exposed to. That, that's like a great baseline starting point. Super straightforward and I think not a very surprising result. Um, and it sounds like that last point was interesting. So you said women are more susceptible to toxicity uh, but they are less susceptible to causing toxicity, which is interesting on a scale of self-admittance. So you're saying that, and per- correct me if I'm wrong here, but that data could be interpreted like more men cause toxicity than women do in terms of self-admitting, like filling out an anonymous form, more men were like, yeah, sometimes I'm a toxic piece of shit. Like more dudes said that than women did. Yeah, Um so with the, with the questions uh, specifically for that, we we had three groups. We had men, women, and then we had uh, a, a, a basically non-determined gender or mm-hmm. other gender. Um, so when you look at the numbers of them causing toxicity to others, the percentages pretty much talk uh, talk for themselves. So we're talking about four different uh, options to answer. Yes, often. Yes, sometimes. Rarely and never. And the the never percent for women is sixty three point six. That's over half of women say they never are toxic to others. Thirty one percent say sometimes or seldom, and four point five say yes sometimes. There was not a single answer that said often. For men, often was six percent. Uh, sometimes thirty one percent. Seldom forty six percent, and never. Compare this with the 63% from women, 16.9%. So there's a huge difference. Wow. And what, what percentage of, so like you had like 650 uh, res- responses, what percentage were the non-binary category? That was, give me a second, so I can give you the accurate number for it. So I think we had 1.5% of, of total answers. Okay. So I think we're talking about 15 to 20 out of the 656 and we also had 0.9% who did not want to specify their their gender so obviously those answers have been left out uh, from see. those diagrams. Okay. So that that like 1.5% though of the the non-binary is there any correlation on that spectrum like w- where do they scale on the like causing toxicity side relative to men and women? Was there any Well, there were only there? two answers. So ah, they had okay. Oh, because because the margins were were so small, uh, because yeah, of the, the intake you. number was very very it's okay. very unreliable. But we had forty four percent say never and fifty five point six percent say seldom. Gotcha. So there was okay. no often or or less frequently answers from them at okay, all. But so we couldn't take nothing. those into some of the uh, cross tabulation stuff, which we went through later on. Understood. Okay. Wow, that is uh, that's something that. Um, I feel like when I hear that statistic and think about it for a minute, I start to understand that idea of different communities based on like different groups of people and demographics. Like, I don't know, you can call them safe spaces, I guess, if you want, even though that that term feels like kind of charged for some reason, even though it kind of shouldn't be. But, you know, this like group of a women's only tournament or like a women's only community. Like I kind of I kind of get it, you know, like in some ways, gated communities feel a little backwards, but in other ways, it feels like still, still relevant to the reality that we're living in right now. Is that a fair way to say it? I guess you could put it away. Yeah. 
since when you're when you're talking about the numbers that show up in this uh, this thesis, this is obviously for for the Finnish population, but uh-huh. you can reflect it to the the international view of of. of not exactly the same numbers, obviously. You put 500 people from the UK, they might see it a bit differently. 500 mm-hmm. people from Germany might see it a bit differently. But you can see that there's they they have uh, they correlate together. Like they obviously notice that toxicity is a big problem. I think that's like the main point mm-hmm. that uh, it occurs in different age groups more than it does less occur. So that I think is a worrying factor as a whole. And I actually. I'm sorry I took the privilege, um, but uh, I actually linked the uh, the numbers chain, which I translated into English, and I posted it into your chat. So if no, somebody wants cool. to look at straight yeah, yeah. numbers while we while we talk this through, so I think uh, the one big thing: men and women facing toxicity at staggering numbers. Men, ninety six percent of men face toxicity. For women, eighty nine point nine. So even if women are causing less toxicity than what men do men still face much more hostile um, environments than women do in terms of a couple percentage difference. But still, over 90% on both, it is, you know, it's a terrible number. It makes sense in some degree because, like, gaming is still skewed in terms of more men than women. Like, it's not 50-50 quite yet. Certainly not in the more competitive communities that this data probably has a little bit of a skew towards since it's you know your audience and you've covered so many different competitive games. So you always have to factor in the kind of sampling that went into to consideration here. But um, yeah, dudes being mean to dudes. And it's like uh, misery yeah. loves company. Somebody posted that the other day on Twitter. And I thought, man, that is a really articulate way to express like a, a pretty heavy concept you know like it, it really is yeah. true and i've been there in like dota and i think a lot of other people have been there in other sorts of competitive games where it's a zero sum kind of thing and you're playing with four strangers and you've lost four games in a row even if you're not like overtly toxic you, you're probably still a, a little less positive than you would be other words right let's put it that way um it's it's a thing competitive games are competitive for a reason and if uh, if it didn't feel bad to lose, then it wouldn't feel good to win. And that's a big dynamic yeah. of what makes it worth playing. So I guess it kind of like points, all of this points vectors towards that big question of how do we foster these competitive environments that seem very natural to human psychology, but maybe try to remove some layers of like toxicity while admitting that it, at least for now, is a little bit innate in competition. It doesn't have to be overtly toxic, but it is, you know, it, it is still hard. We still see bad sportsmanship all the time in the professional sports level mm-hmm. uh, across the board, right? It's not even just isolated to a single sport or a single country or a single culture. It's still part of the human dynamic at large. So I think it's a fascinating yep. thing to kind of deconstruct. I don't know. Have you heard of this book, Sapiens? I, uh, I, a Brief History of Humankind. It's been highly recommended to me. I'm on like page 10. I've been reading it very slowly. But uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people have told me it talks about this kind of stuff of like, why are we the way that we are when you talk about kind of humans in aggregate and these kind of trends that cross cultures. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird that both gaming and toxicity and competition are all things that are pretty, pretty innate to the human dynamic, right? Toxicity, yeah, both yeah. in how we interact with each other and how we imbibe intoxicants. That's also something that most cultures engage with. 
funny enough. It's huh? true. It's true. Yeah. And when it comes when it comes to games as a as a whole, some of the theory bases that I used for my thesis, I think this was the hardest part of the thesis was to connect the theory with the toxicity. Do we have a direct link or am I basically just sidelining it? But a very good point that was risen up from a, a book, which is like a gaming educator's handbook or something like, you know, like a like a tutorial, basically, with a you can give it to like a parent, you can give it to a kid, they have like a lot of pictures and stuff. And it describes you all the aspects of gaming, about how different genders see it. Um, what, what does it give the positives, the cons and the pros, all that kind of stuff, you know, like, we all know, video games increases your capability of learning languages using languages it creates mm-hmm. your uh, your fine motoric skills for example your reaction skills the ways that you're like uh like if you think about physical attributes your fingers for example mm-hmm. like it cre- creates nimbleness and all that so when it comes to toxicity um i think that was one really good point i'm struggling to translate this into english but um for several years, uh, it, like toxicity has already been researched, and they've been trying to find causes for it and find reasoning behind it. And I think the the, the big thing usually is is that it's so deep the toxicity and the hate culture that it's normal to act toxic to another person, and it, people see it as a normal thing. Like, yeah, it it just is, and it feels like it's so easy to act behind a nickname, a, a a online insignia, some kind of a- anonymous, you know, profile, basically. They don't know who you really are. And when you're missing that uh, interaction where you're interacting with the way you perform, like you can see me through, through camera, but if you don't have the camera at all, you just hear the voice or you just see the text, it's so easy to misinterpret and also escalate things. Mm-hmm. It's like... Um... The ultimate question, you know, I, I guess it's sort of in the cryptoverse and just in general is like, how do we make an anonymous, civil resistant system? And I don't know if that's a terminology you're familiar with, but like civil resistance refers to this idea of one human, one account. It's so like, think about Warcraft 3. You make an account, you lose four games. Ah, fuck it, I'm just going to make a new one. Now I'm T-Panda number three, you know? And y- yeah. you go and you start, you start fresh. That's like an example of something that is not civil resistant, where one person can have as many accounts as they want, and you can just keep making, like right. Gmail, right? You can just keep making as many as you want. And right now, our only really effective forms of that kind of technology are like highly centralized organizations where like you have to give them your ID and your social security number and it all gets reported to the government and it's all, you know, like gambling and that kind of stuff. Right. So it's, it's civil resistant, you know, poker stars and that kind of stuff. It's like one user, one account, and they're super strict about it, but you have to sacrifice your privacy and give your data to a a, a trusted air quotes third party, right? So that's right. that's like a billion dollar question. How do we make a system that's civil resistant where it's one one human, one account, and we can kind of like verify that somehow mm. in like a trustless system that's decentralized and doesn't require you to give up your like social security number? That's yeah. uh, I don't know. That that's like a, a crazy thing. And if somebody does crack the code on that, it it might actually start to have a, a real like global social impact on toxicity, but then it gets scary of like abuse in terms of like, it's like a social credit score or something, you know, when (laughs) it's always, I mean, that's, that's serious though, dude. I mean, we're starting to see that in China a little bit, that highly centralized, like, 
you know, you're... Yeah, there's been some talk about it, yeah. Yeah, that, like, Black Mirror episode is, like, kind of cheesy, but also kind of, I don't know, I think it's, like, 40% realistic, <laughs> something like that. It's pretty dystopian. So, anyway, it's, uh, it, we're, like, talking about really big, big stuff here, and it's, like, we evolved through competition and by bashing animals and stuff, and I think a lot of this has to do with, like, we got old hardware, hardware and brand-new software up here, and sometimes, you know... The hardware and the software don't always uh, don't always get along. It's true. It's true. And you know, when it as a as a whole and as a perspective from from games as well, I feel like the more there is toxicity, I feel like it's just going to get worse and worse, and it's even even going to reflect outside of games. It's going to start impacting your life, your workplace, your your social experience with people, the way you interact with people. Like if it if it takes a grasp of you you are more highly going to be reflecting it to other people too. It's, it changes you, and it changes you in the wrong, negative way. So when it comes to, like, I'm working currently in a, um, with, with, with the, uh, the partner technically as a uh, gaming educator. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, kids from ages 9 to 18 or 19, and we play video games with them. That's my work. I, I play games with kids. But every time they cuss, every time they say Tough the N-word, every time they go anything, you know, Jesus. like over the over the board, I intervene. And I want to create them a safe space to play video games and enjoy, find the positives about it. Mm -hmm. If you don't like a video game, you don't like it. But you don't have to drag everybody with you, you know. No, totally. That's... Uh... <clears throat> So preemptive work is really important when it comes to uh, toxicity and recognizing it. What can we do about it? Are, are there any yeah. tools? Is there anything we can do to prevent this from happening or getting worse? Positive reinforcement is is big. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what, and what, denying video games and demonizing video games is not the way to uh, to advance because that's <laughs> only just going to create more fear, more harm. And make video games this big devil, kind of like what rock music was for Christianity a couple <laughs> ten years ago, for example. It was thought as this is the the devil's work and all that stuff. But in the end, it's just a way of art. It's a way of expressing yeah. yourself. And people, some people drew it. Of of course, there's already somebody who's going to draw it all overboard. But as a general idea, yes. overall, games at large. Point. No, I I agree. Yeah. However, this is like a sad reality and something that I think you can empathize with and probably a number of people listening right now, not playing Dota anymore and not chasing the cognitive dissonance of MMR, it, it has really made me like a less stressed, happier person where I realize like now I'm busier than I've ever been before, but I feel like I have way more bandwidth to process that busyness because it has all of my focus. And like I play Axie a little bit and it is fun, but like I think the nature of 1v1 esports, it's like it's just a little bit less toxic because in general, it's you. There's nobody to blame but yourself. And yes, that can be frustrating. Mm. And yes, cognitive dissonance is real and ladder anxiety is real and all that stuff. But it's a different dynamic than solo queue in Dota 2 where you're talking to four strangers on voice and you're like, I should be 5K MMR. I'm 3,500. It can be a slow grind, but I should be making progress. And then six months later, you're like, I'm 3,300. What the fuck is going on and like that just as much as you try to push it down and realize i'm being irrational about a video game when i'm a full-time dota caster it's like 
yeah, but this is your job, bitch. So you should like, I remember PPD tweeting like, come on, if you're really mm. serious, it's time to giddy up and like, you know, it's not that hard to hit 5K. And I actually truly believe that. And that one tweet from PPD actually fucked me up for years. And it's because yeah. like what he was saying was completely true. And it led to that like realization of like, I'm actually like pretty dog shit at this game. Like I'm, at, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying om almost as hard as I can. And I'm like... I'm really struggling to make progress here. And that like is a very frustrating experience. And like, I love Dota and it's an amazing game, but there were a lot of hours spent bashing my head against the wall. Just like I'm playing Dota, yeah. I'm learning mechanics. And it's like, I don't know if I really was, I might've just been wasting my time chasing a stupid MMR dream that was trickling into the rest of my life and just making me in general, a more toxic person, right? And conversations just being a little bit more short with people than you would otherwise, or, you know, whatever else, or also passing it yeah. on in future Dota games. You know, even if you're not intentionally feeding, picking position four treant protector and just sitting in the trees and buffing up towers and refusing to do anything is like, you know, going Radiance first item and then just pushing waves. And, you know, you're, you're like, you're not really, you're just picking techies. You're playing 1v10 or 1v9 <laughs> rather. And it's like, that can be fun, but it is like, mm. I think almost by definition, like a toxic experience, right? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like uh, you are no longer you, and I think also another another one, which is also like chasing a dream, can become addiction. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's definitely true. It's hard I try to, to balance, avoid. Though. Yeah, uh... I try to avoid using the word addiction because it has this negative sound to it. But I feel like a lot for a lot of people, playing video games can still be the best thing that they've ever done in their entire life. It might be the only thing that still keeps them sane. So yeah. when I go back to the whole topic of demonizing and taking games away from someone, that might just be the last positive thing that person has left in their life. There's a lot of people who are in alienation risk, um, and video games are still keeping them in the in the cycle, in the flow, as a, as a part of our society. So if yeah. you start denying things like that, you're going to make things worse. Yeah, I, th I tweeted about that the other day of how important video games are as an escape. Like if you live in a developing mm. country or somebody where or a place where things are very hard economically or your family doesn't have enough money for food, you don't have enough money for right. like entertainment or escapes from reality. So all you, you know, the idea of a game where you can earn that has strategy to it and all this kind of, sorry, I'm pitching Axie now. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it is like, it's really powerful though. It's not just the earning. It's like that escape is part of the value proposition. And when you feel like there's real stakes on the line of like my earnings potential is tied to like how well I perform, that sense of purpose is really powerful. It's not just about the money. It's about like having like something that you can do that you can provide with like that's a really powerful part of the human element like having a sense of purpose and if you don't have that fuck man i can see why you're toxic i probably would be too that's those are like i think some of the darkest moments in my history are those when i felt like i didn't have a sense of purpose and i didn't know like what i was until i found esports until i had something i could really sink into and i mean speaking of addiction i can tell you casting's fucking addictive i see why there's a whole group of people out there that are in like you know, the so far in their career, they're like a forever aspiring caster type. You know, this this was the big shot this DP yeah. season, DPC season. There's all these new faces and they didn't make the cut and they've been on the grind for a long time. Some of those people like I, I get it. I, I see what they're chasing because I did the same thing for a lot of years, man. I hung in there partially because it's worth it to make 30 grand this year because I want the high of 
you know, being able to tell that live story to an audience in front of a hundred thousand people and a couple thousand in a stadium, you know, that first time I walked into a, like a stadium and it was mostly full of people and it was like a hype match and Trent and I are sitting there talking about the draft and like you hear yourself on the loudspeaker that that's a dopamine hit stronger than most drugs I've taken, you know, like that's a real serious, like adrenaline high that that first time I was, I was shaking and I I couldn't breathe. I was so nervous. And by the time the game was over, I remember stumbling to walk down the stairs and I was just like, I was like this. I was like, Trent, that was, that was so fucking amazing. I was like stuttering, dude. My, it was like, it was so overwhelmingly awesome that my brain like couldn't process it. And, uh, I mean, maybe that sounds a little hyperbolic, but that's actually what that experience was like for me the first time. And that's, you know, it's like the first time you get really stoned and then um, you never have that experience again and you try to chase that and it just never happens. It's just like that. The f- it's never like the first time again. You know, the second yeah. time in the stadium, you're not nearly as nervous. You're like, all right, I got this. You know, I've done this before. You've been here. There's nothing to worry about. You're going to slay it. But that first time, like that first time when there's a high risk of failure and you've never done it before and you don't know that you're going to make it. And then you do, you know, you slay it, you do the cast and it's great energy and it's awesome. And the crowd's cheering, you make a joke and it lands, dude, dude. So I get it, man. It's like, I don't know. It's like, is that work or is that fun? Is it both? I don't know. But I was totally addicted to that for a lot of my career. It was number one above all else. I think it's a combination of everything, to be honest. It's like, uh, it's the biggest tool for feeling accepted. Because that's what every human needs, and it's a basic human need, let's put it that way. To be accepted, to be loved by someone. If you feel like an outcast and you're left out completely, you don't have that balance in your life. You need to have someone or something that makes you feel wanted. Mm-hmm. We all want to have that feeling. And I think casting in esports, like, yeah, I've, I've yet to be in front of that big audience, like, two years in Los Angeles, we were casting for an empty crowd. We <laughs> didn't have anybody there because the, we were we were not allowed to advertise the event. That's so, so, um, so we didn't have anybody there. Just the production crew, just the players, but still, um, <laughs> those few times that I've been casting, it's a great feeling when you're doing a team fight, you're building up that hype and the whole crowd starts to get into it and you've mm-hmm. finished your sentence and you can still hear the roars, the claps and everything. Yeah, I can agree. It's it's a big high. It's a It's a massive big high. Yeah. And that's a weird thing about, I mean, it's it's not that dissimilar to the players on the stage as well, right? Like walking out onto that stage, you know, you go up there. I had one of those experiences. I just talked about this on air. I think with Thebe, it might have been at the Creator Cup, like Captain's Draft 4. We did the talent show match and it was ability draft and I was playing Dazzle. I, You know how it's like randomly, you get a random hero? I random Dazzle and I was sitting on the stage like of captain's draft to do the show match and ability draft. You know how crazy that is? That's less than a one in a hundred chance, man. That's insane. So I was like, that was my moment to shine. All right. And then we get into ability draft and most of the people on the stage have no idea what's going on with ability draft. Purge was the only one that was really good at it, except for Jack and Jack was on the other team. He ended up carrying hard with OD, but I played a position one dazzle where I got bloodthirst. I got dazzle poison. I got 
I might have gotten Dazzle's ult, and then I grabbed something else. And like, so you know, Bloodthirst is broken in ability draft, especially on a ranged hero. So I'm just running around, I'm smacking people. I destroyed the off laner. I was like, I don't know, twelve and two or something on the <laughs> stage in front of an audience on the live stream, like carrying the team, making the calls, getting kills here, and like purge, yeah. call my name over the loudspeaker. Zayori with the triple <laughs> kill. Like it was, un and I was playing. Da you got to understand, Dazzle is like. Dude, he's like my spirit animal. That's like my hero. <laughs> I have like 600 games played with Dazzle. My next highest is like Witch Doctor at 150. I got a Dazzle print on my walls hanging somewhere. It, dude, Dazzle's where it's at. So that was just a moment where it felt like the stars aligned and the spotlight was on me. And we did end up losing the game, but it was still like super epic and super amazing. And uh, fuck, dude. I see why pro players want more of that, that feeling, you know? When you win yeah. that game and you come out of that booth and that whole crowd is like, you're the fucking man. Fuck it. You. You. Like, dude, that is, that's a feeling worth chasing. I totally, and that's part of the competition, right? Like, that's caked into, like, even if you're not thinking about it consciously, that, you know, that dopamine hit is coming if you win. Like, the crowd response is bundled into, like, you know, the, the competitive experience. It's not just about yeah, that, yeah. but it is, it's absolutely an element. You know, it's, uh, human it thing it's it a is. tribal community kind of feeling and to feel that feeling is basically a combination of the determination for you to get to that point the mm -hmm. the willpower that you will make it through and the hard work that you basically put into it and that involves both pro pros and cons that will uh weigh at all on on your on your mental health it, not, it might even be on your physical health if you don't have a good balance if you don't have a good physical balance you will not have a good mental balance you need to have them both it's mm. like a yin and yang kind of thing totally for the better it doesn't always apply to every single person but for 95 percent of people i can tell you need to have both things in balance oh. okay to succeed and and to and to push yourself forward so get the blood flowing um so one of yeah. the other stats that i wanted to ask you on this one's interesting you said just over a third of women form relationships through games the right. percentage of men that perform that form relationships through games is below one tenth. So what is that? It's like nine percent right. versus thirty-five percent or something like that. That's a pretty something like that. Pretty wide gap. So that's a, a very interesting and like I always like these things too. And I, I'm looking at this tweet and I'm laughing because this this person that responded to you, Nathan, out of interest, why split toxicity into men and women? Do you do that for each question? Question mark. And it's like, dude, it's just a normal data point that you ask people, and it's like a, a it's not binary anymore, but it's like a, a it's a fair question. <laughs> but like, I see where they're coming from, but the framing is very negative. But I laugh because yeah. <laughs> I do a, a kind of align with these things where I go, huh, am I a man or a woman? I know I would check man. <laughs> well, actually, of the three, I would probably check the non-binary one on this. But yeah. for a lot of things like, I don't know, I... I'm a dude in a dress. I don't really identify as like a woman in that regard. Like that's why I wouldn't yeah. call myself transgender because I don't, I don't really feel trapped in my body. I feel like I, I'm okay with my body as a dude, and I just like wearing cute girly stuff. So I certainly feel like on some spectrum mm. of like girly, but I, I don't feel a strong desire to like. It doesn't overwhelm me to feel like I'm, I'm a dude. You know, that identity doesn't bug me. But I do think with this stuff, like, I wonder which side I identify with more. And I definitely identify with the woman's side of this, I think, based on these data points of, like, 
almost all of my relationships have been formed through games. Um, even like before yeah. I was working in esports, like I, when I was in college, when I was starting my freshman year, I met a girl in my World of Warcraft guild who lived in Florida. I lived in New Jersey and we met when she visited New Jersey one time, we hit it off, whatever. And she ended up moving to New Jersey and we lived together for like two years. It was a great relationship, you know, a whole thing, whatever. She ended up going back to Florida to be near family. It was it was a, a pretty cool thing, but like that was completely forged through World of Warcraft, like straight yeah, up, yeah. Remote, like a long distance relationship to, you know, living together kind of experience. So hmm. um, it's, it's a little bit interesting to me that like if, that there's so many men in gaming, it just seems like a great opportunity for lonely people to connect, yet less than 10% of dudes actually form yeah. strong relationships that that actually really stands out to me I, I find that i would almost use the word staggering is that hyperbolic i mean guess you could um that's what we brought up in the in the statistics do you know something called the cheese square test no so this is um, a, a mathematical equation that we use when we want to um show a relationship between two categorical variables so with the G-square, we could basically put uh, a combination of who answered yes and who answered no. Was it a man or was it a woman? We, we did not use non-binaries for this because of the, the earlier mentioned low, mm -hmm. uh, low number statistics. So we couldn't get anything uh, reliable out of it. So when we did this uh, G-square test, um, basically we had men and women and yes and no. And when we put those together to compare, we were like, huh. So, uh, basically, out of 88 answers, 58 say no, but 30 said yes. And for men, um, 33 said yes, but 514 said no. So, oh, there's got to be something over here. Like, over a third of women have said yes, so what's up with this? And we, when we did that cross-tabulation, we figured out that one-third of women, actually over a third of women, I think it's like 35% of women have formed relationships. But I had a typo in the Finnish version. Um, so in the abstract, I wrote it correctly that uh, over a third of women have formed relationships through games. I wrote into the results that a third of women have created relationships with men, which is inaccurate because we did not measure with whom they created those relationships. Ah, I see. Uh, it's just relationships in general. It might be a lesbian relationship, for example, or with a non-binary, non for example. But I over see. a third for women. And for men, it was a very small number. There's a possibility that all of these answers could be a couple answering yes in both. So the man and the woman, or the man and the man, or the woman and the woman, and you know, and right, so forth. Right. Could have been the ones answering to it, but it's still 88 answers. So that's still quite a big number. Mm -hmm. And for that to apply every single time that it is a couple answering this question is a st statistical question mark in a sense. So it's it shouldn't be possible. It could be possible, but we didn't believe it would be so. I see. Because we've had so, answers from from uh, feminist influencers who I contacted. Was like, we need some women answers. Can I? Can you help me out with this? Like, sure, we can. And we also got some non-binaries through them. So we had several influ influencers bringing me answers from separate areas. It's not just one place where you're like I see. Put, post yeah. in your polls, you know. Right, yeah. You try to get as much like diversity in the responses as yeah. you can. Yeah. So, but of the 656 responses, not everybody answers every question, right? Is that what you're saying? So some... Yep. Some... There's a third answer, which is, I don't know. 
So yeah. we left those out. Ah, okay, that too. I don't know. It is not That's mentioned a... here because uh, <laughs> we still had the majority answer, answer to the questions, except when it came to relationships, or was it... Fr I'm not sure which one was it. Was it the relationship friendships? Mm. Um, the men's answer pool is like 550 or so. For one question, we only had 510. So I was like, huh... There's got to be like 40 men who don't realize what a friendship or a relationship is because you either are in one or you're not and you should recognize it, but they were saying we don't know. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of like, a, should we bring this up? Like, okay, maybe we'll just leave it out because there might be something, you know, this would be a place for a, a qualitative um, um, uh, research that somebody could make on the basis. Like, why do we have so many men who don't right. know are they? Are, do they have a friendship or a uh, relationship they've created for video games, or maybe it's still being built? Who knows? So, have you? Is there any spot here, or maybe an addendum, a layer on top of this, postulated at all about what uh, the 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 fix here, or like how do we how do we cut this uh, toxicity thing root and stem? You know, how do we get start solve chipping away at the the core issue? Like I, I see you wrote here, users who have been targeted by toxicity also cause toxic behavior towards others which says mm -hmm. to me what is the what's the key to breaking the cycle that's like the only and there's a lot of things like you know the um like cities that are stuck with a lot of poverty and it's sort of this like generational where people are born into poverty and it's like how do you fix that from like a city perspective where you have these dense group of people that are all without means and like you know just throwing money at it isn't like a valid solution it's like an infrastructure problem it's like a crime problem it's a it's really complicated right um yeah it's it's like access to food access to education all this sort of stuff so breaking cycles can be really hard so how do we break the cycle bruh how do we do this thing oh. well i wish it was that simple Zary. <laughs> yeah uh, i know Dude, Which, just tell for, me the code. I'll type it into my, uh, <laughs> what's that thing in the DaVinci code? The codex or whatever. And, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll do it up. Smaller communities, least, is that yeah. the answer? Do we, like, one nation? <laughs> do, we, do we get rid of the, the global lines? You burn your passport? And do we start a commune in Iceland? I mean, like, what do we do here, dude? That's the thing. Like the, the the main reason for me to make this uh, this inquiry and this this uh, research was because I wanted to innovate people to come up and figure out uh, possible quantitative reasoning behind things, so we can get a more collective database on things, and maybe we can find more similarities between either age groups. Like, can we already impact it when we have like young young people, say? ages 12, 13, because I, for example, um, have noticed something when we went to school, saying a cuss word was very rare and mm -hmm. something that we did not dare to use because uh, someone would tell the teacher I said a bad word. In today's world, um, I run into an eight or nine-year-old in the bus and they're just going fuck, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck. And I'm like, whoa, like I just turn and look at them for like, where did they learn this language? Then I start to figure out, YouTube. Hmm, are we the people actually causing it? Are we the people of 20 to 30 to 40 years old who have gone over the, the mm. feeling, the threat that nobody's going to judge us anymore for using foul language and don't think about the consequences of using that foul language? That's the culture we live in today. People mm. adapt. Young people learn from what you do. You are leading an example. Yeah. And so I myself, I am at fault. We are all at fault for uh, for using bad language. 
and kids learn from us because they think yeah. we are idols. We're the ones to look up to. And if we go going Fs and Ns and Ss and whatever we want to use, they will learn and they will use those words. The older I've gotten, the more I've really appreciated the power being wielded. Like, I think there's this very natural... I, I could write a blog about this. There's this arc that happens when you're... Uh, especially a commentator, but like an influencer in general, where you start to come up and you're like, all right, I got 100 followers. I'm doing something. I got 1,000 followers. All right, I'm actually really on to something, right? And then you start coming up with ways to try to crack the code. You navigate up and you start getting these first little tiny opportunities, these like micro-influencer opportunities of either affiliate stuff or like, hey, we'll pay you 50 bucks to do like 10 tweets or something. And it's awesome. At that time, you're like, yo, any money is like proof of concept that I'm yeah. really doing something. This is great. So you keep climbing that ladder and then eventually you get to this point where you start getting offers that are kind of too good to pass up. And some of them are better than others and in the case of dota it's like the really tempted fruit is like the betting stuff and at the beginning you don't really know your value and then eventually like you get got or somebody explains to you like hey you should add a zero to this and i i'm victim of that some of the first sponsorships hmm. i ever sold on my podcast they were like betting sponsors they have so much money you're so pristine it's so hard for them to get like customized advertising um and you start doing this like over the top sellout stuff because you're so grateful that they took a chance on you and this whole thing and the reality is yeah they took a chance on you but that's because it was a calculated decision and like you doing yeah. this is them winning so you don't really have to overthink them just do the thing you're supposed to do do it well and that's it anything extra you should be charging extra for and that's yeah. like what you escalate to and then after a while you start getting enough offers and enough money that you you get you get picky and you go which of these are actually worth it, you know? And yeah. when I looked back and I wrote in my resume in like my cover letter, in the last five years, I've sold $750,000 in sponsorships across whatever number of events. And a lot mm. of that included Valve money. But the second category, actually, number one category, even above Valve money, was betting dollars. And it's like, of that 750K, over 50% was from betting companies that I relentlessly shilled, you know, because like they were paying the bills. They were literally making our tournaments possible. They were allowing us to pay commentators to be full-time Dota casters. Right. So when I thought about the ethics of it in any given situation, it's like, this event is still a net positive in terms of growing the company, getting these 10 people paid that are otherwise struggling as commentators. As an agent, I'm doing my job by enabling this money to flow like directly to them through this event. But at the end of the day, I'm the guy on camera that's like, hello there, not children. Have you considered placing a bet? <laughs> X companies got your back. Ew. And I'm, you know, it's like, I'm like fucking Garth from, uh, Oh, uh, Wayne's World, you know, I'm wearing the hoodie, right. I'm wearing the hat, <laughs> I got the pen, I'm like, hey, hey, you know, and I, I, I guess I don't know what I regret, right? Because like, if Moonduck didn't happen, is that a, I think that's a net loss for like, just people and like value created, right? But when you yeah. think about the ethics of it, and after you look back at like your career 10 years removed, you go, I want to do something that has a way different social impact. And I want to stop advertising, you know, like, I, I don't hate gambling. I do some sports betting. I love playing poker, but I think some of the stuff that we did was definitely way over the top and not very mindful of like minors or like positioning. It wasn't until we started mm. working with Betway until we started thinking about that stuff because they're in the UK and they're really highly regulated. So the messaging had to be really, really specific. And they were like, yo, we can't, guys, we can't make it look too cool. And that was the first time we went, 
the fuck are you talking about? We, you don't want us to make you look cool? Then what are you paying us for? They're like, well, <laughs> like we want to be positioned as kind of cool, but and with our regulation, we can't do any advertising that like implies you're going to be successful or a better person or better with women. Like you can't joke about any of that stuff. Like you can't imply that you'll be a better person at all as a result of gambling. And you can't imply anything about people winning or like how much money they can make. It all just has to be like, Hey, here are the odds. Just do whatever you would do with those odds. You know, that was the kind of stuff that they wanted. Then they wanted logo positioning and that kind of stuff. And that really opened my eyes to like, Man, these unregulated betting companies, the stuff they were asking us to do was really, um, maybe manipulative isn't the right word, but looking back, it's like, God, that advertising doesn't feel good. You know, that was really not, yeah. that was not me in my best form. Um, so anyway, that, sorry, that was long and anecdotal. As you can see, I'm still no, a but little that's cool. torn that's about good. it. That's good to, uh, good to also recognize like work ethic and also like which things have moral issues and, and how does that project to other people, for example. Like, I think that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. So these days I try to really think about that stuff. And I'm in the luxurious position doing esports at Axie. Like, you know, I love the game and the ecosystem and all that stuff. But the fact that we have the funding to do esports without sponsors is like, I can just right. kind of dream big and build the best system uh, based on whatever parameters we want. And we can take mm -hmm. on any sponsors or partners that make sense or are strategic for us, but we are not beholden to sponsors at all. And on the third party, like Moonduck tournament side, it was the opposite. We, we literally could not do a tournament until we had a title sponsor signed on. And I would say nine right. times out yeah, of 10, yeah. the only people that could afford to be a title sponsor and be flexible around the dates and stuff were betting companies. So um, yeah, it's like, don't let your dreams be memes, but you can't really afford it, you know? Yeah, exactly. You, it's, uh, it's weird. Startup world gets weird. So I just try to think mm. about all that stuff. And, um, you know, you want to go about life as ethically as possible. But it is harder yeah, it, when it's hard. you're, you know, you're looking at your net income at the end of the year. And it's like, okay, I have 25K so far in, like, net income. And it's October. If we do this event, I'll make $10,000 and be at 35K for the year. You're like, is that greedy? And you're looking around at all these other people and how much money they're making and all these other influencers and even people at events that are like, I was never true tier one Dota talent. The people that are like real like Dota talent, uh, 30K for the year is like laughable. You know, they make much more than that. So yeah. those kind of situations, it is really hard. You're like, do I want to be able to buy Christmas presents for my family this year? <laughs> but am I okay to do a couple of reads for this betting company? And Guilty. <laughs> yeah, guilty, dude. Exactly. So it, it is like a good PSA to think about. And It um, is. It is. You know, like even the Sniff Sniff event um, for me was like an eye-opener to appreciating... You know, I had like no viewers back then. So you just don't appreciate the potential power of the machine, like what we have right now. If I just stand up and walk away and forget to turn this thing off, like there's mm -hmm. a lot of power in what we're doing and like putting a camera in your bedroom that you turn on and off sometimes. There's a little responsibility there. You can't just get fucked up and forget to turn it off. That's a big deal. And I didn't respect that like to that degree back then. And um, boy, did I learn a quick lesson, you know? That podcast we were doing that morning had like maybe 15 max concurrence. I'm surprised anybody was even watching the stream like an hour later after, you know, I had left it streaming just an empty desk chair. Um, yeah, that's sounds, like... sounds familiar to me as well. <laughs> kind of feels like my life at this point, you know? I'm living the, the young Zayori life, kind of. <laughs> the but, young it's, but it's Zayori also true. Like, if, <laughs> it's like... 
it's like like when you when you think about the the way you can impact on uh, your potential way of showing to others your your own behavior and all that so if we jump back to like some of the the thesis points i think you asked about is there any particular answer to toxicity and can we can we purge it Mm -hmm. um we wanted to look more accurately at at things called the pearson correlation coefficient and the spearman's rank correlation coefficient oh pearson and spearman of course yeah yeah so those we also used we wanted to compare with uh, like the age group and then the, the toxicity questions of have you faced toxicity, have you been targeted by toxicity, and have you caused toxicity, which were the, th- the three main groups. And that's where we brought up with uh, the numbers for the younger people being more toxic than others. We wanted to create three different age groups from the 18 to 29, and we saw that the rarely or seldom number went up the older the answer was. So like groups 22 to 25 okay. and 26 to 29, the numbers increased. And same for women. The women's numbers increased as well by by a huge amount. And the 18 to 21 age group was the more, well, you could describe more hostile group out of these three because we're still talking about a negative, uh, okay. a, a, a negative topic in a sense. So you could consider it being a hostile age group. But there are reasons for it as well. You know, when you were a kid, obviously you learned about things. We've talked about cussing and learning from our elders and all that. Mm-hmm. You're still a growing up person. Your brain is still developing. You're still sucking up this massive amount of in- information. You have this pressure from your parents to do this and do that. You need to find a job. You need to find an education. Your friends are getting girlfriends while you're being single. Uh, you're being bullied and nobody, nobody else is being bullied at school. All that stuff, you know. Everybody is an individual, but when we're younger, everything seems more radical. Can now I, that we're like 28 to 30, it feels different. Yeah. So, I, all right. Let me, for some reason, what you just described triggered like a weird concept for me because I was thinking, I grew up in a high school like you described, where like if you heard any student say, like, I, I call it a curse word, you say cuss word, but same, same exact thing, right? Same as a, a bad word. Um, it's like you would expect them to get detention or something. If you heard a kid say fuck, or like something on that level, like the whole room would be like silent, tight butthole, like, yo, shit, yeah. that kid just said fuck. Like he's going to the principal's yeah. office. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like, yeah. so what was that that kept us in line? I guess some of it's like cultural. Some of it was like there were 150 kids in my high school graduating class. So pretty mm-hmm. small. And I think that helps like it gives the teachers more control. It, maybe that's just the the culture. It was definitely pretty Christian influenced. So maybe just a little less mm-hmm. like anti-authoritarian so people just didn't push the envelope but for me i really think it was this fear of the quote permanent record and like i don't know if that's even a thing but this idea of like there's some file that somebody has on me that's like a log of all the shit that i'm doing and when i'm done with this shit storm that is high school and i go to college they're gonna hand them my permanent file and if it says that he's a fuckity fuck fuck in there they're not gonna let me into college so, like, in yeah. my head, that was, like, this thing I was always afraid of. But I don't think that really existed in that regard. Because I, I have another it's weird true. anecdote. I got suspended when I was a senior because this is a really mm. weird story. But I had a friend, and he had a, a second cell phone. And it was, like, a cool flip phone. And he, he offered to sell it to me. And I said, okay. And it was suspiciously cheap. 
And I pop my SIM card in, I'm using it, and the principal comes in and says, hey, that phone you're using was reported stolen. My, my quote, friend stole the phone and then sold it to me. So, of course, the girl reported that it was stolen, saw that I was using it, and then reported it, and the principal was like, well, you have the stolen phone, so you're the one that's responsible for it. And I was, he was like, buyer be... I remember the principal saying to me, buyer beware, and I was just like... I mean, all right, man. Like, I, I don't really understand what I'm being punished for here. Like, I guess I'm sorry all I right. didn't, like, ask my friend. And he was like, well, I guess he's not really your friend then. It's like, well, obviously, dog. But I'm just saying, like, why are you... You have all the power to make any exception you want. What is suspending me for two days do here? And he was just like, that's the rules, bud. And that was the moment I realized, like, does any of this matter? This is, like, the stupidest thing in the world. I'm True. already going to college. This is, like... What the fuck's happening? And that was like a really eye-opening experience for me. So anyway, I digress. But I wonder if others had that experience or if that is just like not a concept that exists anymore. And how did that get instilled in our culture to be even a thing? True, true. That's that's where we're going to a very interesting topic, which I also try to avoid because uh, culture cultures are so different. It can and by culture, it can mean age groups. It can mean what life mm -hmm. was in the seventies. It might be what life is today because. Uh, I've I've watched this conversation in Finland, especially in social media, for quite some time, and I would like to ask you actually, what do you think is Finnish culture? Just, how do you just, see Finnish just culture in general, what? like at a high level? Yeah, like, um, how would you describe Finnish culture okay. from, as an outsider's perspective? All right, so so like no joke, just completely honest. I I, I definitely be, be honest, be honest. Associate it with Nordic culture in general. I guess I should preface by saying of like Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. I've been to Sweden like six times or something, and I've never been to the other three once. So my framing of like Nordic culture is definitely framed around Sweden, though I know that they're, despite many similarities, also mm -hmm. quite different. I know, unironically, saunas are a huge part of your culture. I know you guys love cold water. Um, I know that uh, you guys kind of abide by that general, is it a social democracy? So relatively high taxes. Um, I think you guys have like really happy people and really sad people. Like I think you have some of the happiest people, but you have a really high suicide rate. Some of that probably has to do with depression from the sun moving in and out. Um, you have a pretty good welfare state, I think. So I think people are pretty... I always think about some article I saw where some guy got like government support to go to rock concerts for some like thing mm -hmm. that he was doing. Is he was addicted to metal music or something. Um, so like... I, 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 you know, I get the sense that you guys are, are pretty chill. It's pretty cold. And um, yeah, you can, you know within those bounds kind of kind of have some fun time there's probably a good amount of freedom i think you guys like alcohol i think you're very like serious in general like most you're like kind of blunt and have a, a direct way of communicating at least in english all right, all right okay. I, I, if, if if you don't mind me stopping you there i think we we got the one thing um <laughs> us finnish us finnish people only see us as alcohol <laughs> everything is related to alcohol really like, is that really finnish culture because everyone's like yeah i mean we drink during christmas we drink during new years we have midsummer festivals oh drinking again we graduate we go drinking weekend we go drinking and we're like is it really just sauna alcohol and and uh a democracy is that everything we really i do think for? of metal music as well so there are some things that you brought up that the regular Finnish person does not think about at all. Like okay, and I, I mean, because, I might have a it feels lens. like it's a normal to thing say that I have the you know I might not be the average yeah. American who's like never even been to Europe before. I'd be curious what they think. 
but it's a, but it's a great point because it does make us think sometimes that we're we're very obvious. We have been growing in such a safe environment that we complain about the most silliest things when it when it comes to like any age group to be honest like we complain about so many ridiculous things because we have we have things so well here in finland even with high taxes we still have good social care we have good uh good health insurance we have we have jobs we have a way for welfare if we don't have a job things are so good in in finland in general but we still complain about the, the stupidest things but the discussion on social media is mostly about, well, like lately, what it was. People only really think about just alcohol and sauna. Like, are we really though that people that are just alcohol and sauna? Like, that doesn't sound like a culture. That sounds like more like a way of living or or an option or something we've learned from our mm. people. Because I did uh, one more thing I wanted to say. I studied a a course during. Um, my social study services, and I wanted to look at alcoholism in Finland. And we go all the way to 1600s when we were making moonshine. Wow, that's basically where we've learned. We used moonshine as a as a natural remedy. We used it for a cure for everything, kind of like the industrialism where people were supposed to drink because alcohol purified all the toxins out of mm-hmm. your body. You know, like a basic working man should drink a bottle of rum every day. Oh, to, oh, there was uh, a huge shift healthy. in humans where yeah. like we used to yeah. drink alcohol yeah. all the time. Then it got replaced yeah. by stimulants with like coffee and tea. Exactly. And there was like a yeah. huge jump in productivity because we used yeah. to think like fermentation was a way to keep things uh, like what do you, uh, from spoiling, right? So like I th- wasn't yeah. that the, the beginning of beer and wine was that it kept better than various other mm. things because you could ferment it. So a- anyway... Uh, Totally. You went through I mean, prohibition. We went through prohibition as well in the thirties. Really? Yeah, we had we had like a ten year uh, or twenty Damn. year like a uh, system going on. It didn't last for very long because obviously moonshine become became very popular at the time, and they realized that this is actually more of a problem than actually helpful. And then the uh. the, the the government created a monopoly around, around alcohol. We have one store which is a big chain around the entire Right, just like Sweden. Yeah. So, all right, let me ask you a question. What do you think about Iceland? What do I think about Iceland? Iceland, yes. To be honest, I don't know much about Iceland. Um, A Viking country that still, up to this day, still has some, some pagan belief in them. Which is a bit similar to what uh, what we had in Finland in the times, like we had our own Ukko Jumala. Dude, what um, are you doing for Christmas? You want to come uh, party in Iceland <laughs> with me? You want to have a white Christmas near the Arctic Circle? Because I think that's what I'm gonna sound do. Too bad, to be honest, for real, I, sound too bad, to be I honest, think I'm gonna go from there. like December twentieth to like January fifth or some something like that, give or take. Um, uh, we went from a very, very serious topic into partying in Iceland. I love it. Well, you know, I mean, Christmas party. <laughs> we're going to go up to the Arctic Circle. We're going to eat some reindeer, uh, may- maybe drink some schnapps. Well, you're talking about alcohol, and it's because I was there earlier in the year, in like September, and I was hanging out mm-hmm. with a couple of different folks from Iceland, and alcohol did come up several times, and they also had mm-hmm. a very similar, like, there's a lot of moonshine, or at least there was, and now I think the alcohol distribution is pretty centralized, and it's pretty expensive, and everyone was joking but also serious that like the cheapest air uh, alcohol is literally in the airport in the duty-free shop so every time you land it's like kind of a thing like you should stock up on alcohol there because it's it's the cheapest spot to stop um Mm. i loved it though i really enjoyed visiting and it makes me wonder if i would also enjoy finland and all of them said i should come back during the darkness and see if i still like it so i'm gonna do it i'm gonna be there on the darkest day of the year or pretty close to it at least and Mm. uh we'll see what it's like dude sit in a hot tub sit in the sauna i recommend 
I recommend the northern Finland parts during winter because of the aurora borealis. Dude, that's I'm hoping to see it in North Iceland. The authentic Christmas uh, or or the winter feeling is really in the north. I live in the south and it's just gray and a bit of snow everywhere. But uh, when you go to the north, you get like the real feel feel for it. Well, yeah. So sorry to up the vibe a little bit with Christmas partying, Mm. but you know, I got a Christmas sweater. (laughs) I got an Airbnb, dude. I'm actually I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna book the uh, tickets today. So. I like to do vacations where I book it mm-hmm. and then I just let people tack on. So it's one of those no, it's a no commitment open ticket, bro. You can decide until yeah, yeah. the day of if you want to come join us. So uh, it would be my pleasure to host you for Christmas, buddy. I would love to make you some reindeer. I, I got a reindeer recipe that'll bake your fucking noodle, bud. <laughs> I, I I will be delighted to. Thanks. Thanks for the, for the invite. <laughs> I'll, I'll consider it. I'll okay. actually consider That's it. That's all okay. I can ask for. But anyway, we, but we can now draw this subject to... Uh, to- causes of toxicity and yeah. i think alcohol alcoholism and alcohol families the, the the negativities that it has brought to a social environment is mm. one huge problem causing toxicity and uh it, I, i'm not saying the less alcohol the better things would be but it definitely There's um, correlation would be a negative aspect if we had more alcoholist families for example and mm. their kids because they get impacted with a lot of negative stuff and mm. insecurity and that causes also the toxicity or toxic behavior if you're very insecure. Okay. Well, there will be no kids in Iceland. So I just want to clarify that. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I totally. And th- this like reminds right. me of gambling because like on a personal level, like I, I do some sports betting. It's legal in Colorado. I'm in one of the lucky states where I can just do it through apps and stuff on my phone. I love to mm-hmm. place, you know, five bucks on a football game or a UFC fight and you know, you're, you're watching it from a totally different lens. I guess in theory, I could bet on Dota now as well, since I'm pretty disconnected. Um, you know, mm. stuff like that I think is fun, but at the same time, like, is legal sports betting like a good thing? What kind of regulations do we need to have on the, uh, you know, the ads? It's sort of like cigarettes. You know, should we give it that same treatment where it can't yeah. be advertised in most conventional scenarios? Um, I don't know. I don't know what's fair there and how that that goes with like freedoms and stuff. And I see alcohol very similarly, where like. I like alcohol, but I also recognize alcoholism is an issue for many people. I feel like I do enjoy the freedom of being able to drink it as a responsible adult. But how do we balance Mm. that again with advertising and access? And like, is for example, is high taxes actually an effective way to to like reduce alcoholism, like Mm. making it more expensive? Does that actually deter people that are the most problematic with it? I I don't know. I'm I'm not so sure. I don't think it's a big secret if we tell that we have very high taxes and alcohol in Finland, so everybody goes to Estonia because <laughs> you can bring because you can literally bring it over the ferry. Uh, oh. There's like a limit of alcohol and tobacco that you can bring, but you can buy like a case of beer for ten euros, which would normally be like twenty five euros, twenty or thirty euros in Finland. Dude, that's so, so you're crazy. Like, hey, I say fifteen euros by just taking a ferry to Estonia, which costs like ten to twenty euros. I bring myself. Three to five cases of beer. When I was in Iceland, uh, I got a drink with somebody and somebody bumped into her and she spilled it after she had taken like one sip. And she was just like, that's $18 that just fell on my lap. Not only is my underwear wet, but I just lit $18 on fire. I was like, don't worry. I got you. I I definitely picked up that next drink. But that was just a wild, like every every cocktail is a fucking investment, you know? Like (laughs) that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh god. And I was it was like a rum and coke or something, you know. It's not like it was some amazingly insane cocktail. It's like a margarita. Right. Right. (laughs) Two ingredients. 
Uh, so yeah, but it's true. But it's expensive. It's ex- expensive for sure. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's something. That so we does all it work though? And has Switzerland have in a- common. Has that been effective in reducing alcoholism in Finland? Your extremely high taxes. Is I the Estonia loophole the just? Uh, I haven't looked at accurate numbers, but it has decreased the use of alcohol. And I think tobacco is declining every every single year. I think even fewer people smoke today. The use of snus has increased, though. Ugh. But uh, but, but the amount of tobacco snus. smokers in the last 10 years has been decreasing by a lot. So it's definitely going downhill in, in numbers, which is an uphill, or in this case, a positive thing uh, yeah. for, for Finnish kids and youth. Yeah, snooze is don't uh, like it. Snooze is intense, man. I my Swedish friends snus and alcohol is intense. Yeah, my my Swedish friends love to do this like thing where anytime an American visits, they try to peer pressure them into doing snooze and really downplay how intense it is. And like mm. I, I don't know, I've you know I've had some experiences with tobacco, but it's just so like it's so heavy and rich. I just it made me mm. like jittery. Ugh. God, I know you're sitting there yeah. like, ah, a good snooze. I fu- I can see. You fucking love it. I can see. I I used to like, like you know, my, my sister, my older sister actually told me about using snooze because she's an athlete. She was mm. in like a b- bikini fitness Finnish championships and stuff like that. She's super into like uh, everything athletic. And I'm just a guy who plays guitar. I'm a bit chubby now that I've uh, quit smoking actually for over a year. And I actually like the one of my uh, community oh, yeah. members in chat. I forgot Cat you're Cat, a tobacco uh, guy. Yeah. She brought she brought up that uh, I've been uh, smoke free for over a year, so 14 months actually now, uh, smoke free after 15 years of smoking and using snooze. So I'm happy to uh, you know to be able to get rid of something that I was so badly addicted to. Nice. Dude. Tobacco is super addictive compared yeah. to alcohol. For alcohol, I'm like, I can go on a five-day drinking spree, but then I can go two months without it and not even bat an eye. Like, I wouldn't even care. Yeah. But with tobacco, it's like, you do it or you don't. I uh, I feel you. Yeah. I I luckily have never felt addicted to tobacco, but I have moments. Usually if I, I'm like fairly drunk or pretty tipsy and I'm like feeling very sociable and sometimes mm. I'll walk outside and see a bunch of smokers and be like, oh, hell yes. And I'll walk over and make a new friend. I have this weird <laughs> thing where like sometimes I used to be, believe it or not, a lot of people don't believe this, but I used to be an introvert. Like as a kid, I'm one of those people that mm. I haven't been extroverted my whole life. I was super introverted and had really extreme social anxiety and my family was very nonchalant about it. And they kind of did the like, ah, you'll get over it. Just get out there and meet some kids. So it was it was tough for me yeah, until that, I got like, to like... That's easy. Yeah, like, you know, 16-ish, like young adult age when I could start just being independent. That's why I liked games so much because I could, you know, talk to people that I actually got on with. And being in a small town made it harder because it's like a, a smaller subset of people. So like one little fuck up and the whole town hears about it. Everybody remembers everything, that kind of thing. Mm. Um where was I going with that? Fuck, I lost my train of thought. I started thinking about having social anxiety and a whole flood of memories came back. My God. Why did I bring that up? What were we just talking Trip about? Trip down memory I had, lane. I had one of those senior moments, dude. That's that's all right. What I mean, were we talking about memorized. right before that? What? Uh, I mean, you were talking about being an introvert while you were young that. and uh, right before that. What triggered uh, me to bring up the introvert thing? I actually don't remember ah! we're just gonna, i was talking about snooze and alcohol and how like oh. i don't know I, it's not use of drugs but the use of uh substances that basically made you more social with people and oh and yeah yeah stuff, so i know. flipped i flipped that's what it was i was super introverted yeah. and then once i like got into partying a bit in high school like alcohol mm-hmm. and pot and stuff 
like that like allowed me to have some social lubrication and hang out with other people mm-hmm. that also needed social lubrication. Um, and then once I kind of discovered esports and stuff in college, that was when I really broke out of my shell and practicing doing commentary. And those first couple esports events I went to, like I think I, I mentioned it in the in the book, but like my whole yeah. thesis at the time was esports is ahead of its time. So even if I have to pay to go to events and get experience, I want to have experience in this five years from now when it's mainstream and cool and everyone's trying to get into it. So even if I suck, I can still say I've got five years in the game. So right, right. when I fir- like my first couple MLGs that I went to with like my old business partner at the time, and like I flew in by myself and I have $1,500 in my bank account and the trip costs 800. And that's like before food budget and that kind of stuff. So you're staying there and you're like drinking water and you're like, oh, I'll eat your leftovers kind of thing. <laughs> and <clears throat> I had to force myself into that environment where it's like, all right, I can't run to the hotel and hide because it's costing me an insane amount of money to be here relative to what I have. I have to make this worth it. I have to meet people. I have to like meet the whole goal was I was running tournaments. So I wanted to meet pro players, shake their hand and say, Hey, I run this series of tournaments. It's on Friday nights. We'd love to have you sometime. We could, you know, here's the prize pool, whatever. It's super legit. I'm in it for the long haul. You're fucking awesome. And that was like our whole goal was the more people we could do that with, the more likely they would respond when we reach out to them online and say, hey, instead of going like, hey, we're playing and we got this tournament for 50 bucks. It's, hey, I'm that guy that you met at this event on that night. We're doing a tournament. Do you want to play? And that was a huge catalyst to go from like super amateur dumb open to like, oh, shit, your finals is like two legit players playing a best of five show match. That's pretty cool. But that was, uh, I had to force myself to do that. And that's how I started breaking out of my social anxiety because at those events, like to maximize our ROI, it's like we were doing interviews. So I had to force myself to go up to players and be like, okay, can I interview you for some? Yeah, I want to talk to you about how good you are. And then do like a really shitty three minute interview on some flip phone and upload it and get 10 views and be like, man, yeah, I don't know what was worth what, but it all it's all practice, you know, in aggregate. So um, anyway, I, I did the full inversion. I'm, I'm like, a, a, what do people call it? An introverted extrovert. I think that's how I identify now. I can do it. I can go to a party and turn it on and be fucking, you know, Mr. Guy. But my average day is mostly sitting alone in my apartment, listening to music, watching TV in the background and aggressively typing yeah, stuff yeah. into my computer. You know, I, I spend a yeah. lot of time alone. I think I started turning a bit introvert when I started doing esports because the more I got into doing work, the more I started spending time alone because I was sacrificing my 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 basically um, my friendships with people. I didn't have time to spend with them. I was always working or working on something or watching a stream, learning from casters. You know, I was doing a lot of collective work while doing school work and playing in a band and creating an album and writing them songs, you know. So I was like yep. doing like three full day jobs for three and a half years. That's which crazy, was very man. straining and very stressful. But uh, I got them all done. I, I released an album and I finished my thesis and I finished my school and now I'm actually working DPC for the first time. So I feel like mom didn't raise a quitter <laughs> in this case. But I, I, I think I struggle with interaction with people these days. It's much easier for me to look at the camera and talk to people that I don't know than meet them live and yeah, me talk too. about what I do. It's super hard. It's super difficult. Because I also feel kind of, I don't know, do I feel bothered by it? But I don't know what to say and how I feel like the other people will see me. Am I 
you know, bragging if I just talk about my normal day, like, hey, we went for a couple drinks with Zayori, we had a good time. Yeah, he's, oh, he's got, like, what, 85,000 followers on Twitter, so this guy's bragging. I don't know what they're thinking. Are they enjoying my company, or am I feeling very bothered about this, and should I just keep on moving, say, hi, thank you, and give you an autograph and move on? So I don't know. It's tough sometimes, and I feel like I'm becoming more introvert than the extrovert person I was before. So you flipped before, and I feel like I'm in that reverse kind of right now yeah no that's funny and i i do feel like i'm flipping back in terms of i now it's with crypto stuff where so much of my life is spent talking to blockchain and crypto people and that's still Mm. a relatively small subset of the population i would say and it's getting harder and harder for me to let's say enjoy engaging with non-blockchain or non-esports people I can. Right, right. I can it's go on a more serious. Right. I can go on a first date with just some random person I meet on Hinge or Tinder or something. And yeah, sure, we talk about the weather, some topical bullshit, but it's getting more and more rare that I meet people mm-hmm. outside. Like, you know, if I go to an esports event or I go to a crypto event, obviously I meet really cool people there. But just in my daily mm-hmm. life, most people don't like there's a difference. And I, I think I've been summarizing it to people where even if you're a blockchain person and we totally disagree about like the nuance of what we're doing, like I'm all in on our chain, like you're a Solana maxi, this person's a Bitcoin maxi, regardless, mm. like crypto people, I feel like tend to see the world in terms of problems and solutions. And we might disagree on like the exact problems and the priority of the mm. problems and the best solutions, but we can still have these like really engaging philosophical debates of like, why do you think Bitcoin's better? Why do I think Ethereum's better? You know, why does somebody think Solana's better? Like all of that, it's not just people yelling at each other of like, mine's more, you know, it's not just about like stocks and financial returns. For a lot of people, it's about emerging technology. Mm. Um, I also often say to people, 90% of crypto and blockchain is garbage, but the 10% that is really good are like, like that's where the the people that are going to change the world with the next like generation of technology are building and that yeah, 10% yeah. is what really excites me so i agree when people go like crypto is mostly like terrible like i hate to use the word scams but a lot of it is you know um i kind of agree but you really sometimes have to sift through that noise and focus on the like whoa some of the stuff, like the really cutting edge stuff here with the you know non-anonymous builders that are just trying to build these new public goods they're they're really trying to solve like really big human problems that nobody's ever really solved before on this scale. Yeah. And again, like it's, it, they're imperfect solutions right now, but I respect the attempt. And I think that's like just so interesting. And to me, that's so overwhelmingly interesting. I, I, I do it every day, dude. Every single day I think about the blockchain and talk to people about it. And a big part of my job is just explaining it to people and selling it internally at big organizations and evangelizing the technology and answering questions yeah. and confirming or disaffirming misconceptions and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, how do I engage with people that aren't interested in that world at all? People that, like, when I talk about it for five minutes, go like their eyes just roll over. Like the, the person that I've been sort of seeing in, in Colorado, like, I don't know, did you see that I minted my dreads and that I sold my dreads as NFTs? Did you? I noticed that actually, yeah. I, I think I messaged you about it. Oh yeah, like, yeah, you were like, this? is this, this fucking is real? 
I've, I launched it in a weird way where it did look a little fake, but it is like, so we've, there's 36 of them. We've sold six so far. It's like a super limited right. collection. Each one is a unique like rendition of the actual dreads that I took pictures of and sent to the artist to make like, okay. hey, this is like a one-to-one mirror of the real life physical dread that I have stashed away in a, mm-hmm. in a locked box. So um, it's kind of like a Zayori founder token type thing where it's like an exclusive mm-hmm. club for hardcore Zayori crypto they- fans. Um, yeah, are they hygienic? You know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they're fine. All right. Yeah, because because I don't know because I don't know anything about. Yeah, they, that. they're just hair. My... Yeah, it's all good. All it's, right, it's yeah. not alive, so it doesn't like fester or anything. They're not like moldy or okay. anything like right. that. They've been in, they've been in safe storage. I've had them in layers of like bag in a bag in a box in a box kind of thing. So they're they're pretty. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's, so it's kind of the same when I yeah. had. Uh, it would be hard for you to imagine, but I actually had really long hair up till here. <laughs> I had like oh, a wow. fifty centimeter real. I was a real metal dude when I was a teenager. Oh wow! So uh, I cut that entirely off. And I stored it in a bag of a bag of a bag. And I was supposed to sell it for chemotherapy. But apparently there was some mistake with it at some part of the process. where We were missing like some kind of way to uh, preserve it better. I don't know uh, what, but there was some some requirement that we yeah. missed. So I was unable to sell but, it for. Well, these will be like for an could, art yeah. installation or something. Who right, We'll, right, we'll right, figure right. out what to do with the dreads. You know, maybe we'll make it like a Dow art installation or something. We'll probably do some charitable causes. You know, the group that I've had. We, we had our first dread meeting this morning, actually, with the dread holders. Dread meeting. Yeah, the dread holders, dude. Hey, dude, it's all about the VIP status these days. That's what it is. The dread holders. Holy so, shit, that so, sounds like a World of did, Warcraft Did plan. you read the article, though? Because so if you own <laughs> no. a Dread, you're guaranteed you get 30 minutes of talk time with Zayori every six months for as long as you have the dread. That that's like a lifetime membership wow. to Zayori Consulting, dude. How much do you Very value cool. access to Zayori? And of course, you know Very me, cool. dude. If you're willing to spend an ETH on one of my dreads, like I'm probably gonna talk to you way more than that, dude. I uh, <laughs> I'm like already friends with all the dread holders. They're pretty fucking cool people. <laughs> it's Damn. a it's Damn. a wild kind of thing. So anyway, like I bring that, that up because um, that is like, and I think this is the first time somebody's like minted their hair on the blockchain like that. So it is mm-hmm. like a really wild thing, and I haven't advertised it too hard because I really want them to go to people that think it's cool and like value this like kind of social art experiment that we're doing here. You know, this is like right, a really, right. and if you look at the post I made, I'll just link it real quick. Um, it like, mm-hmm. I wrote like lore for them at the end. So it's like, you know, it's a cute, it, it's a cute thing, man. I, I put some effort into it. You know me. Sorry. It takes me a sec to find the link. That's that's um, right. It just sounds like a real wild, wild west. Which yeah. So, but trying to explain that to someone that you're dating that doesn't do anything crypto, and they're like, "So you're selling your hair?" And it's like, "No, it's an NFT version of my hair." They're like, "So what's an NFT again?" Like, well, it's this like wrapper that you can put digital media into. It's usually artwork, but this is like 3D art. And they're like, "So why would somebody buy it?" I'm like, "Well, you know, people have made a lot of money on crypto, and it's like a fan thing, and some people." think that I'm really cool. So having like a Zayori collector's item is really awesome. It's just like, yeah, but how much is an Ethereum? Just like somebody's going to buy your hair for $4,000. It's like, oh, not gonna. Six people have already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, that's just, that is such that's a weird. And, and when you say that, then I start getting self-conscious of like, I'm not trying to gloat. Like it's not, I don't want to say it's not real money, but all that Ethereum I've just put back into other NFTs. It's not like I took a $20,000 payday and bought a car or something. So it's not, 
Right. It's right. not one to one. I I'm, I I believe in the ecosystem where it kind of just goes back into other crypto investments, but at the same mm. time, it's just something that people really can't wrap their brains around. And I totally understand why because it is an objectively complex, dense subject that's a little bit intimidating. Mm. But um, all yeah. this is to go back to say, like, it's hard, man. I'm I'm actually. This is I've, I feel like everything in my life is going so much better than I ever expected right now, except for that feeling of IRL community. I don't know my neighbors. I have less friends in real life than ever before. Dating is harder mm-hmm. than ever before. COVID has made all those things harder. Um, like I don't, and maybe and since we're going down this rabbit hole, this is not really toxicity related, but maybe it's toxicity adjacent, like scar tissue from toxicity. Let me paint a picture for you. Okay. Let's say I'm in a mm-hmm. Starbucks. It's nine in the morning. The rush is done, and there's two customers in there. It's me and another girl. And let's let's say she's attractive by whatever your metric of, of attraction is. You know, wearing a nice outfit. I'm wearing a dress, decent shoes, and we're both waiting for our coffees. And she comes up and says, "Oh my gosh, I love your outfit. You look really fantastic." I have zero ability to read that on the spectrum of, is that a purely friendly, just like she literally likes these clothes and goes, wow, that's a surprisingly good ensemble. Well done. Is it the middle ground of this kind of like pity, like she sees that I'm a dude in a dress and is like, that guy probably doesn't get enough compliments. I'm going to go ahead and like, you know, do a nice social service and just tell him he looks good because that's like Mm, a nice thing to do, which is perfectly acceptable. I have no issue with that, but it's a very neutral sort of thing. It's not because they're interested. And then, of course, that last side of the spectrum is they're like romantically or they're attracted to me, right? They're like giving me a compliment, hoping that it'll lead to like a phone number exchange or some sort of a like, you know, maybe he thinks I'm cute too. So like, what do I do in that situation? I wonder how many of those times, because that's happened to me multiple times now over the, it's been exactly a year since I like wrote that blog about wearing dresses. So it's mm. been like a year and that's happened to me multiple times. And every time I just get kind of bashful and go, oh, thanks. Uh, you look nice. Uh. Then I get my coffee and kind of run out. And then how many times does that girl text mm. her best friend immediately and go, I always put myself out there and nobody ever responds. And I just like cuffed. I just went there with this guy and he just completely ran away from me. And it's like, I think I'm so self-conscious to be like thirsty or to like hit on people, quote unquote, or like. I think I empathize because we come from such a male-dominated space in Dota. It's mm-hmm. like, I see how hard it is for women, and I don't want to be just another guy that's in line of like, hey, you're cute. You want right, to go right. have dinner and come back? You know, like, I don't want to be that guy. And I think sometimes I maybe mm-hmm. go too far the opposite, where I friend zone everyone right away out of the gate. And I've really been struggling with that yeah. recently. So again, like I, I actually do think that that's like some scar tissue of toxicity where I'm a little numb to like toxicity on the internet, but it has trickled into my real life in a very real way where I have this, this mm-hmm. wall that's a little bit hard for me to bring down when I'm engaging with just like regular strangers in a, a Starbucks situation. I agree. That's, that's actually a great point because I've, I've noticed something similar in my own life as well where... I think you phrased it really well. I don't want to be that guy. Because I see a lot of that in Finland. Like, was it a nightclub? Or going to a place with a lot of other people from the opposite sex? Or, you know, like, we're, we're, we definitely have a goal on what we're doing somewhere. Or, or, like, going to some place. Like, we want to interact with people. We want to get to know more people. We want to maybe find a hookup or whatever. You know, like, the basic idea of going, going out into town. Like, uh, there might be that small, small feeling for it. And then what I'm thinking in my mind is like, okay, I don't want to be that guy because 
she might not be looking for company. She might be really offended by anybody who approaches her. She might have a boyfriend, all that basic stuff. They've already had something bad happen to them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm going to be the guy to cause something bad to them if I go to talk to them. And then they always say, like, you just got to be brave. You need to be yourself and uh, <laughs> things will go well. And then when you finally muster that courage, you get turned down so bad, you like almost get a slap to your face because you made it look so awkward. And you don't have that courage for like what? For yeah. me, it, I've been five years single now because I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. Coming up on two, what the other one so, was uh, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm running a pretty good gauntlet here. It's it's not amazing, um, and yeah. I think it's. I was remarking at how much easier it is when you kind of present as straight and you're talking to another person that kind of presents as straight, at least by like general mm. social assumptions, because it's a pretty straightforward interaction. And then like the yeah, next is. layer is, are you both single? Okay, cool. Are you reading any vibes? Okay, cool. And then you kind of go down that like, you know, funnel right. from there yeah. until sweet, we're going to go like on a legit date. I think with me, there's a little complex uh, complication at the beginning where more often than not, people assume that I'm gay. And I've actually gone out with a couple of male right. friends where they're attempting to wingman for me and everyone we talk to just thinks that we're a couple. And I go, that's a totally reasonable assumption. And I see why you think that, but fuck, how do mm. I go out with my male friends and just pick up chicks like True. all my other male friends? True. Yeah. Gosh darn it. It's like I haven't cracked the code on that yet. I, uh, I don't know. It's and Me neither. maybe that's uh, you know not society's fault or my fault. You know, I, I am a bit of an outlier, and the system is not designed for outliers. So that is just a, a reality of the system. That is, I don't even know if that's sad. I just think it's a reality and something I gotta, I gotta process into my workflow. You know, I guess, I guess that's something that I, I sometimes hate to say, and you hate to preach what you practice or practice what you preach. So I think that <laughs> fits better. Time will tell. I guess. Yeah. It's tough out there, but uh, I definitely, gosh, man, I feel, I, even now, like, I say gosh instead of God. Like, I really feel an obligation to be PC with my language mm. these days. I've, I've yeah. been on that spectrum for the last eight years or so of, like, the more time I've spent broadcasting, the more I've, like, I remember in 2011, it was, like, a big debate. Like, this is how far the needle has changed, right? You know, the, the R word, R-A-P-E. Um, that used to be like a really common word you would hear, especially in like Dota and League, like in lane, like I R-worded him in lane. There's multiple R-words now, I guess. So that R-word. Um, and like, you really don't hear that at all anymore. And I remember in StarCraft II, people kind of defending it. And there was one really defining moment where the, the late great in control um, was on a podcast and said, listen, man, it doesn't matter if it's one or zero or a hundred like words like that can trigger people in the audience that you don't even know are listening yeah. that have had traumatic experiences and he's like think about how many words there are in an english in the english language it's your fucking job as a person with a microphone to be good at talking how about you open up the dictionary you read a fucking book and you find a more articulate word to express yourself and if you're telling me that mm. that is too challenging for you to handle then you should probably find another fucking job he didn't say it that aggressively i'm absolutely paraphrasing with my own lens but like i it, it, I'm choking up a little bit just thinking about like his memory and the fact that he's not here anymore. Um, mm. But fuck, man, I think that's such a good way to just to, to break that down of like, what? Why are you clinging to this one word that has so much negativity and terrible stuff attached to it when you can communicate the same thing you're trying to probably communicate what you're trying to say even better with other words? Um, mm, and I yeah, think yeah. like real conversations like that that really hammer at home are what help shift the needle. Where on an individual level, people go. Fuck, I don't want to be that guy. 
I don't, I don't want to die on that hill. I don't want to be the guy that defends that. Like, you're right. He made that sound pretty indefensible, you know? Um, and that was like the key moment. This was, I, seriously, I think like 2011, maybe 2012. And ever since then, I've thought about like words a lot more and like, all right, some things you need to just kind of like work out of your vocabulary and recognize like times change and you just got to let it go. Or you're going to be that guy that's like hanging on to the old times just because, well, when I was a kid, that wasn't a bad word. Like, well, bitch. <laughs> exactly. The way we started this podcast. <laughs> it's like, changing. When I was a kid. Yeah. So um, anyway, now these days, like, I feel like just over time, it's just more and more like, why? I don't know. I think you can be edgy with concepts, but when it comes to basic vocabulary, why not just try to use mm. more wholesome words given the option? You know, it's like what yeah. we say in Axie a lot. Part of why this community is good is because people feel invested in it. And if you care about your community, it's like, why not just try to make it the best form of itself? Like if we're building this thing from the ground up, why don't we just at any given point make it the best version of itself? So like given the choice, mm -hmm. if you could be a toxic piece of shit to somebody or try to be positive and uplift somebody, why not choose the positive one? All things equal, you know, and if yeah. you can instill that ethos on a ground level, shit, man, maybe we can build something fantastic. It's very possible. And yeah, that's what we. That's You're getting what we into Axie one of these days, bro. To, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep working you until you uh, finally, finally dive we have, in. We've definitely had a lot of discussions on it, so I won't get, I won't back up on my word. But uh, uh, we need you, bro. Outside, we need, we need good <laughs> brains like you, dude. The, the social element is a big part of what we're doing. Like on a very high level, like for real. It's one thing to say, yo, that mall sucks. Let's build our own mall. All right, we're starting to build our own mall. The mall gets built. Well, now what do we do? What are the fucking rules? How do we self-govern our own mall and make one that doesn't suck? That's a little bit what we're doing right now. You know, like we're at the very beginning of that, but that's like the idea behind Axie Nation of, you know, the AXS is a governance token. What's our governance model? How do we like self-manage? What are the rules in our system? So a lot of this social stuff that you're talking about is like really fascinating and interesting to understand as we, you know, scale the nation. And, you know, we have a lot of users that are like new to the financial tools, new to crypto, new to like just this whole wave of technology that they're getting plugged into. So understanding like the psychology and, and their experiences and just all this kind of stuff, like the social side, you know, one of the key words of the stuff you're working on is like really important to us over here at the Axie side. So yeah, yeah. I say that not just as a, I like you, man, we need you in Axie, but for real, we need people like you that are gamers at heart into like, you know, gaming for good, but also like have skills from the real world that can help us gamers game better. You know, like that's a really, that's a really valuable skill set. So it's very, it's very true. It's very true. If the real world rejects you, buddy, I think you could make some friends over here. We're very accepting of of uh, of newcomers. I do see. There's there's a lot of uh, good stuff. I think there was a good conversation going on as well with uh, not only just NFTs but the whole idea of like cryptocurrencies and people earning money for games. I think that was the. I think it was Grimes who was talking about it on yes, on, on very Instagram recently. and on TikTok, like TikTok. like last week, I think and, a couple days ago. Yeah. And I actually, I listened to that and I was like, she brings out some really good points here about people making like a monthly wage from playing a game. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense for a basic person to hear. Like they're playing a game, they're making money through it. And on their spare time, they can look after their mothers and their fathers, for example. Like, man, mm -hmm. that's actually like a, that, that's a pretty decent thing for a, a very basic thinking person, for example. Like can definitely see that there's a lot of 
stuff in f- in store for the future. Like you said, you're still kind of building. You're making the foundation. Oh, yeah. I could be the guy to run the ice cream cone stand in the in the mall. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, Axie Town is going to need somebody to run the ice cream stand. So uh, we we got oh, a front yes. runner here. That's that's wait. <laughs> Somebody's going to need to run the official Axie Pizza shop too, and it's going to have to be open at weird hours because mm. Axie gamers game hard, and sometimes that means late night gaming sessions and late night fueling sessions. So. Uh, yeah, we, we need some Domino's style delivery up in this thing. That's for that's real. That's the that's the stuff we do in Finland. We get out of the bar, we head put up for the first first place that's open and sells us kebab or pizza, Hell and then yeah. we go to sleep. So talking about weird opening Hell hours yeah. for sure. Morning five has to be open. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, this has been fantastic. I love I love the Zayori plus one vibe. We've been at this for like an hour and forty minutes, and uh, the time has kind of flown by. And um, it yeah, has. I'm getting hungry, and I certainly don't want to take up too much of your time. But, buddy, I uh, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your work both in esports uh, and the real world. It's impressive to me that you were studying this whole time and casting all those games in multiple different languages. Um, yeah, don't don't burn out too early, dude. You know, make sure you're not burning that candle at both ends. Just one end, you know, and uh, just one end. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, make make sure you're taking some time off. I uh, we did our big Creator Cup event uh, Friday night, and yesterday I woke up at two p.m. and uh, just got dressed and went out to an Italian dinner. I was like, you know what? We just had a big win. <laughs> I got to treat myself. It's a little sad that I'm doing it alone because we had to work it remotely, but. You got to treat yourself, buddy. So make sure. Uh, did you did you treat yourself? Mm. By the way, thesis done. Did you go? Uh, did you get get yourself a pizza? You know, a whole cheese pizza just for me. You go get the steak. Like I mean, for the I'm, creator I mean, cup, oh. the winner went out and she took a picture with with the trophy and a steak dinner. I saw. And there were two steaks, and I was like, I love that. She got two steaks and ate them both, but one of them was for the that's trophy. Awesome. That's badass. That's, this girl that, parties. That's, that's badass. <laughs> that was that was really cool. Yeah, I definitely did party out. Um, we had a great time with. Uh, some close friends i wanted to like can we just have this one night where we just get drunk we have fun no drama no worrying about the world can we just have fun today and we did we had a whole lot of fun on that night and uh i think there's one thing that i i wanted to share you've you've said a lot of a lot of warm words and a lot of uh, compliments on this and that so i think like i want to end with one good sentence something that kind of grew on me when I was studying social services and I went to tutoring. So I was basically teaching new students who started at the university on how to find their classrooms, what do they do, what books should they get, what kind of, you know, like the basic stuff. And then we went out to party with them and kind of bonded together because we were like their, not their teacher, but the person in between who helps them with everything. So tutor. One lesson I taught to them, which I didn't have when I started my schools, we did not have a very good um, community with our class. We grew into like six or seven different groups of people of four and five. I felt like I don't really fit into anything. So I kind of felt like I left. I was left out kind of. But it was also because I didn't, I have the same ideology or the way of thinking with the other people. But that wasn't the main point to it. What I wanted to state to all those new students was do things together. Don't leave anybody out because no matter what they look like, no matter how they talk, if they're a bit challenged, if they're super smart, don't leave anybody out because you're at the first week of school. The further you go, and if people are already broken in between, it's going to make your, your road so much harder. So take care of every everybody. Take care of another person. If you have something to give, they will 
receive and give back. It's it's you know giving common courtesy to other people and understanding that there's so much to give, but there's so much more to gain. And the, the whole idea of sticking together, creating friendships, creating whatever the friendships may bring forward. It's it all starts from giving to another person, and that was what I wanted to teach to all of those kids. Yeah. We went into uh, beating every other uh, campus in our university for the 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 best campus, whatever athle- athletics, Olympics, whatever. My my group won two times in a row during that year, and I was super <laughs> fucking proud of that squad. And they could re- you could really see like after three or four months of being together that they were one tight unit and they could make some crazy shit happen. And that really made my heart melt and I, I cried. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. No, totally. Isn't it uh, remarkable how often we take for granted the importance, especially for young people, of just saying things like that out loud and firmly? Like, hey, it's worth it to give more than you take. It's worth it to stop and help your community no matter what the circumstances or whether that guy was a jerk to you or whether he deserves it or not. Being a good and wholesome person that cares about the collective good and within reason tries to contribute to that collective good is just fucking worth it. Like all things equal, Mm. that's Mm. the stuff that people are going to remember and that's the stuff that's going to pay hidden rewards from maybe you pick somebody up who's worth nothing now, but years from now, they're worth a whole lot. And that stuff comes full circle in really weird ways you'll never expect. And it also swings the other way. If you were that jerk yeah. that didn't pick them up, sometimes people remember that. And when, the, when the, the tides change five years removed, you might be wishing that you were a little bit more empathetic when the roles are reversed. So it's all powerful stuff know. to keep in mind, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a crazy good two hours, man. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, totally a pleasure. And like I said, uh, open invitation. I think Britt summarized it well. He already has the Axie spirit. I I think you've encapsulated (laughs) a a lot of what our our community is all about and uh, aspiring to be. So we're not going anywhere, bud. We'll still be here. So get your esports kicks, get your, uh, you know, get a few more uh, notches on the belt and then we'll bring you in and you can, uh, you know, be an up and comer here in in the Axie space. You know, we got Axie caster number one. But uh, no, I, I really can't wait one day. I, I really want to visit Finland. I really want to do a, a Nordic tour and get to Denmark and Norway, maybe swing by Sweden to say hi and uh, hit some saunas <laughs> in Finland. I mean, you're more than welcome to come to Finland. Just just hit me up and uh, we'll get, get a, gather around some people and we'll have a great time. Yeah, we'll rock out. You can shred. I'll scream into a mic. It'll be great. We'll do a live awesome, stream. Man. <laughs> Dude, Instagram will love it. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Well, take care and have a good one.